0: I realized as a result of things I was experiencing in my own life that the time had come, there needed to be a woman who could talk to a woman. It would profoundly change the way the question is answered. Not that the question would be answered outside of halakha, not that there would be a manipulating of halakha here, but by understanding where the question is coming from and by the woman. Being ready to open up and to speak to another woman, the answer would be profoundly different. What got me started was seeing terrible, terrible pain within a family and saying, someone's got to do something about this. Someone's got to make it tikkun.
1: I'm Scott Kahn, and this is The Orthodox Conundrum. This is The Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeehouse.com. I'm Scott Kahn. Today we're going to continue our conversations about the roles of Jewish women in Orthodoxy, and we'll do so by speaking to the person who created one of the most important innovations we've seen so far, Rabbanit Chana Henkin, the founder of Nishmat and the force behind Yoatzot Halacha, or Halachic Advisors. Yoatzot Halacha have studied in order to become proficient in the laws of Nida, or Tarat Mishpacha. Unlike the assumptions of some critics, they are not admitted into this program until they also have proficiency in Gemara and Rishonim. Now, I've read the reasons that people don't like the idea of Yoatzot, and feeling that way is their prerogative. I think they're very mistaken. From my experience as a Chatan teacher and in other areas, I've found that Yoatzot Halacha, at least those I've spoken to, are at least as qualified, and often far more qualified, to discuss Hilchot Nida than the average rabbi or machanech. And given their training in women's health, as well as other areas that are unknown by most rabbis, they maintain a unique position and fill a huge role in the halachic scene today. We'll talk to Rabbanit Hankin about Yotzot Halacha, what they can and cannot do, the criticisms she's received, and more, as well as discuss her new book, Nishmat Habayit, Contemporary Questions on Women's Reproductive Health, in a Moment. First... Please subscribe to The Orthodox Conundrum on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please like The Orthodox Conundrum page on Facebook and join and participate in The Orthodox Conundrum discussion group on Facebook. We have some fantastic discussions there, so check it out today. I'd also like to ask you to become a Jewish Coffeehouse patron on Patreon. Just click on the link in the description of this podcast and you can get bonus episodes, JCH merch, and more. You'll get special episodes on all sorts of topics that are only available to subscribers. And you'll be helping Jewish Coffeehouse spread our message of a welcoming, intellectually engaged, and honest orthodoxy. It's just a few dollars a month and you can cancel at any time. We're looking forward to your joining the Jewish Coffeehouse team finally, do you have a message that needs to get out? Do you want to reach hundreds or even thousands of listeners? The best way is by producing a podcast, and Jewish Coffeehouse can make it happen. I have experience producing hundreds of podcasts, both for myself and for clients. Whether you want to learn everything you need in one day, or record and relax and let us do the heavy lifting, JCH Productions will work with you to make it happen and make it even better than you imagined. Let us help you today. Write to me at scott at com, or go to jchpodcast.com, that's Podcast. J-C-H-pod- Podcast.com to learn more and to sign up for a free consultation. Make your voice heard, promote your cause, sell your product, and engage your audience today. Rabbanit Chana Henken is dean and co-founder of Nishmat, the Jeanne Yishatensin Center for Advanced Torah Study for Women, and creator of the Otzot Halacha Institute, which she co-founded with her late husband, Rabbi Yehuda Henken Zatzal, and Rabbi Yaakov Varhaftig. She is the recipient of numerous awards and has been awarded honorary degrees from Yeshiva University and Bar-Ilan University for opening the highest levels of Torah learning for women. Rabbi Chana Henkin, thank you very much for joining me today on the Orthodox Conundrum Podcast.
0: Rabbi Khan, I'm delighted to be here.
1: On a personal level, as we were talking about before we started recording, I have a personal hakarata tov to you and to all of Nishmat, apart from the fact that my wife went there 20-something years ago. My daughter, Mi'ira, is a recent graduate of Nishmat. She was there for two years, including one year as a Madricha, and it was a wonderful experience for her. So thank you very much for that.
0: Uh, Thank you for sending us these wonderful women.
1: Let's talk about the Yo'atzot Halacha program. I've been a Chatan teacher for quite a while, and it seems clear to me that the idea of Ayyotot Halacha, which means halachic advisor fills such an important need. Could you describe what is a Yoetzei Halacha?
0: A Yoetze Halacha is a learned woman who is qualified to address questions of women in the area of tarat ha and family life. Now, the field is very, very broad. Beside their training in Halacha, there is intensive training in women's medicine as well. Um, uh, gynecology, fertility, menopause, um, women's cancers, everything that in one way or another impacts upon the laws of tarat and mishpacha, the laws of mikvah, the laws of reproductive, um, uh, the laws relating to fertility, reproduction. And after being tested, I, you yo know, is then there to serve the women of Klal Yisrael, either personally by serving in a community. In the United States, we have uh, about 50 congregations that have hired Yo'atzot Halacha. We don't have 50 Yo'atzot Halacha in the United States, but we have several who we have over 30, 30 something and uh, in the United States and Canada. Here in Israel, we have many, many Yoatzot Halacha. Worldwide, we have over 160 Yoatzot Halacha who've been uh, trained and who serve in the field. Many of them are employed on Nishmat's hotline, Nishmat's Golda Kashitsky phone line, where we have a staff of Yoatzot, over 20 Yoatzot work on the hotline. We also have websites in four different languages, and you know, so work on our hotline, they work on websites, they on our websites, they work within the community, and many of them are available as volunteers to address questions of women in their own communities. Basically, once you qualify as a at Halakha, you have much less of a private life than you did previously. Collectively, we've received over 350,000 questions over the years.
1: And I know that the website is a tremendous resource, which I've used myself. So many questions are approached there, particularly with the piskei halacha of your late husband, Rav that's all.
0: We get this all the time. People will tell me, uh, I went into your website in order to ask a question. There's an option to ask a question via the website, but there are hundreds of FAQs and there are, by now, I presume over 200 um, articles posted on the website probably considerably more than that. It's very common for us to hear that oh, oh, a woman will say, I went in to ask a question, but the answer was right there staring me in the face. Um, I have a nice anecdote from Australia. A rabbi actually called me up with great pleasure. He said he heard about the Ya'atzot Halakha and um, he, of course, knew that this was inappropriate, and he was going to get up and give a drasha to his community to tell the women of the community to beware and not to um, um, and not to use not not to use the you know, This isn't proper. This shouldn't be. And then he went into our website because he figured he should know about what he's talking about. And then he gave that to Russia and he said to the women of his community, you know, every woman in this community should have this information and should use this resource. So I find we talked to an amazing um, breadth of women in the United States, a rabbi told me that he told the Yoetzed who came to his community, one of the first Yoetzed to be placed that, uh, he's very happy that he's going to employ her, but he doesn't want her to get his hopes up because he got three Shiloh over the course of the last year. So he he doesn't want her to think that the mobs are going to knock down her door in order to get to her. Well, that first year, she got 500 questions and it just continued to mount after that. So women are going to they Halakha. They're, they're saying two things. One is that they're not comfortable to go to uh, a man to discuss very intimate things, that it's not it's not modest, it's not comfortable for them. I, as a and I spent uh, decades trying to convince women to go to a rabbi and, and, and I spoke about how sensitive rabbis are, but the bottom line is women are more comfortable going to a woman. The other thing is that very often as a result of her own personal experience, a yoetzet understands the woman's question differently. Um, what we're always interested in is how do you help a woman? So if a woman has a problem this month, we don't want just to answer the question of well, this is asur, this is mutar. We want to tell the woman, here's what your future to avoid such a situation. Sometimes we're able, many many times, to give the woman guidance, which will profoundly affect her mental life. And it's a tremendous privilege to be in that place to have become overnight a resource for observant women, and also for traditional women. It's very interesting to see who comes to Yoset Halacha.
1: Rabbi e. Hankin, you said a lot now about a couple of important issues. I want to ask about that anecdote from Australia in just a moment. Before I get there, it may be that you largely already answered this first question, but the genesis of the Yoset Halacha program, the whole idea of this innovation of having women answer questions in Hilchot Tarat Hilchot Nida, Was it just because women weren't going to rabbis, or was there more than that?
0: You know, sometimes there's an issue which troubles you for a good number of years. Uh, In this case, maybe three decades, two decades. And then something happens, and that something is a catalyst, and you say to yourself, okay, I've got to do, get up and do something. And and Nishmat started the same way. That, that I expected someone really great to uh, set up a Beit Midrash for women. And when I didn't see it happening, I said, well, someone who isn't great is going to have to do it because otherwise it's not going to happen. In this case, um, uh, as the wife of a rabbi in Israel, I was very much involved in in mikveh, in mikveh education. Um, and as a result of my own love of learning, I was also involved in learning. And in our home, halacha was the public language. It's what went on at the Shabbos table. It's much of the conversations between myself and my husband, Sifran Odukacha, were um, uh, about halakhic issues. And one day, I uh, I left the house in the morning in order to go to Nishmat. Looking across the street, I saw a friend, and I crossed the street in order to say "Boker to my friend, and uh, she. Uh, she burst out crying. I asked her how she was. And she said, I can't take it anymore. I went to the last night. And this morning, once again, uh, we're prohibited to each other. And I listened to her a little. And I said, someone's got to get up and do something about this. Because this, this woman, this couple, had not been living normally for upwards of a half year. And, and she was sending her husband to a rav, a, a major post and she was sending him with something to look at. And the post answered the question that he was asked. Generally, the questions were in the middle of the month, the middle of her cycle. In other words, just after she got uh, she went to the mikveh, and the next morning there would be a problem. And I realized as a result of things I was experiencing in my own life that the time had come, there needed to be a woman who could talk to a woman. It would profoundly change the way the question is answered. Not that the question would be answered outside of halakha, not that there would be a manipulating of halakha here, but by understanding where the question is coming from, and by the woman being ready to open up and to speak to another woman, the answer would be profoundly different. Not necessarily for that specific month, but the answer would change the woman's life. I can't tell you how many times since we started the program, women have come up to me and have said things like, um, this baby is your baby. Or um, you've saved my marriage. You've saved my life. This, this goes on all the time. This isn't... There's no Yoetzel Halacha who doesn't have a woman either sending her a picture of uh, the ultrasound or, <laughs> or calling up to say, Mazel Tov, I've had a baby and it wouldn't have happened without you. Sometimes it's about marital separation. I, I, women should not be make heal. Um, should not be lenient when they're not able to be lenient halachically and they shouldn't be machmir when they don't have to be machmir. When a woman goes to ask a question to a rabbi, she just, honestly, I'll speak as a woman now the average woman just wants to flee as quickly as possible she wants to present herself as as normative as possible to make the question as minimal as possible and to leave as quickly as possible when the woman sends her husband i mean, would you ever think of sending your spouse to a doctor if you if you're the one who needs the treatment and the spouse will describe the symptoms There's a gap here that needed to be bridged. And what it took to get me started on this, even though it had been something I was thinking of, but what got me started was seeing terrible, terrible pain within a family and saying someone's got to do something about this. Someone's got to make it tikkun. Um, uh, you can't let people suffer. And I have to say, it's not the fault of the rabbis. If people are not going to the RAV with a question, you can't blame the RAV. But there's a difference if you have a woman there, speaking to a woman is different.
1: So, Rabbi Hank, that brings us back to that original anecdote about the rabbi from Australia who was going to get up and say how inappropriate this was. And I'm sure he is not the how only case it of...
0: Was. How terrible it was. How terrible,
1: right. But achil Lashem, probably, right? Can you please explain, as best as you can, getting into the heads of your critics, what they find objectionable about the Ueset Halacha program?
0: You know, it's very hard for me to do that because... I share a world outlook with Rabbanim. Um, It's the world that I come from. It's the world I live in. It's the Torah world. I think there are people who tend to judge this in terms of gender issues and who assume there's a gender agenda here. Generally, the objections dissolve very, very quickly when they realized that what this is about is about fealty to halakha, observing halakha properly and making people's lives better. I have encountered a concern amongst some community rabbis abroad. I haven't encountered this at all in Israel, but I have encountered community rabbis who have been a little concerned that this might undermine their relationship with the women in their community. Um, there was a little bit of hesitation and the assumption that if a woman has to come to me, with, if a woman comes to me with a question, sometimes that question leads to a discussion of family issues. I am in a position to help to counsel the women and I wouldn't want that relationship to erode. On the other hand, the bottom line is that most uh, women can appreciate rabbis very, very much for their religious guidance, for the shiurim that they give, and they don't need for the relationship to build to be built upon what can be a very uncomfortable moment for a woman. Even if the rabbi is comfortable, that doesn't mean that the woman is comfortable.
1: I appreciate your judging that attitude favorably. Frankly, when I hear it, I see it as well-intentioned but selfish, to be blunt about it. If a rabbi says, I don't want somebody more or better equipped to handle this question because I, as someone less equipped to handle that personal question, will thereby undermine a relationship with somebody, to me, I I understand that we're on the same side here, but I don't really understand that attitude as being fair. I see it as being somewhat uh, self-centered, frankly.
0: I think that most rabbis I know are not self-centered. They're and I devoted. agree. They're devoted to their communities. They're deeply devoted. They work very, very hard. And I think, like anything else that's new, there's um, uh, there's concern. There's concern. So, so what is this new animal? Is it? Um, is it authentic? Is is our, our what's motivating um, the women who are yoatzot halacha? And as the community has had the opportunity to see yoatzot halacha, uh, number one, we have more and more ravitzons coming to us to become yoatzot halacha, which is very exciting. But the concern is being replaced by a sense that. When could we get a Yoetzet halacha in our community? I'm seeing more of that. So I, I, I listen. Generally, honestly, I admit I like people very much. I admire people. I I appreciate rabbis. We're on the same side of this. We ultimately all want what's best for Torah and for Jewish life. And when you see something that's not working, it's a mitzvah to do with tikkun. And I think this is one of the biggest tikkunim that has been done um, within religious life in in our times.
1: When you said before that they're afraid that there's a gender agenda. Could you just explain what you mean by that? What is that fear? What does that mean, a gender agenda? What are people afraid of from that perspective?
0: Uh, you know, it's very hard for me to take a position which isn't my own because I'm more afraid of the consequences if we don't serve people's needs than if we, if we serve people's needs poorly. I think there is a certain suspicion on the part of people, when something new happens, when there's when there's something new, so you ask yourself about the motivations, you ask yourself, is this going to strengthen or is this possibly going to in any way undermine Jewish family life? We know that Jewish family life is at the center of Jewish existence. So uh, there are people who are concerned. As I said, my concern would be more if we as... Those who are responsible for religious leadership don't meet people's needs. I think Judaism and and, and observance is weakened.
1: Rabbi Nehenken, you are very clear, and I've seen this in the past, that Yoetzot Halacha are not rabbis. This is not smicha. This is something very different. Can you define or delineate the difference between a Yoetzot Halacha and a rabbi apart from the name?
0: Um, let's talk separately about Israel and the United States, although the answer is somewhat similar for both. The position of a rabbi is not just the scholar. It's a communal leadership position in which the rabbi is the leader very often as a congregation. And outside of Israel, it would be a congregational leader. In Israel, it could be any number of positions. A Yoetzan halacha is a very specific kitmachut. It's a specialization. It is a very, very specific specialization. It's a specialization in a field of halacha coupled with a specialization in women's medicine, which includes gynecology, fertility, sexuality. This is very, very specific and technical. I've had people say to me, aren't they specializing in how many angels are dancing on a pinhead? And my answer is, (laughs) you've got it all wrong. You are going to the most central issue in family life, including sexuality, including fertility and other areas having to do with a woman's religious life, her religious dignity, and you're enabling women in that field to be super specialists. And we've had rabbis come to us and ask us, what do you have to say about especially a, a certain issue? With the rabbis understanding that his halachic training did not include an interfacing with medicine, And on top of that, we know what's going on in the field. I mean, if you think to yourself, I'm using the number 350,000. It's an outdated number. I don't know what the present number is. Hundreds of thousands. Certainly it's above 400,000, but the last time it was counted, it was 350. So I'm saying 350,000. You know what's going on in the field. I'll give you, uh, can I give you an example? Please do. A newlywed couple were experiencing marital separation for most of their married life. This this, this goes for months after they're married. They consulted this post They consulted that post Every leniency that could possibly be relied upon was invoked. Nevertheless, the woman was staining all the time. mm mm-hmm. Very quickly after a yo et halacha was consulted, she described her situation. And the yo etzid, as a result of her experience said, tell me, are you taking birth control pills to regulate your cycle? And the woman said, yes, I am. And the said, tell me, are you combining packets And the woman said to the Yolese, yes, I am. Now, this is a young bride who is frantic because they are almost never permitted to each other. The Yolese said to her, can you tell me the name of the pill that you're taking? And the woman told her the name of the pill and lo and behold, it was a triphasic pill. And the combining of packets does not work with a triphasic pill. It's as simple as that. As soon as she got off that particular contraceptive, the problem ceased. So it's an illustration of how having, I, I would say, Three pieces of a puzzle coming together makes a difference in people's lives quantitatively, um, geometrically, that one piece is you need to know the halacha. The second thing is you need to understand a certain amount of medicine. We're not physicians. We're not trying to be physicians, but we need to know enough to communicate properly properly with a physician and to understand the situation and the, their, the training includes testing on the medical curriculum. The third thing that you need to know about is what's going on in the field. What are women doing? How are women behaving? And it's the ability of those three pieces to come together that can change a woman's life.
1: With all that you're saying now, Rabbi Tankin, regarding the necessity of Yotz Talacha, this need that was addressed by them because women were very uncomfortable or unhappy or unwilling to speak to rabbis about intimate details of Hilchot Nida, that raises the question about whether Yotz Talacha in the future will also be trained to answer questions in other areas where perhaps there's no specific need for them because... Women aren't uncomfortable, perhaps, going to a rabbi to ask questions in Hilchot Shabbat or Hilchot Kashrut, but at the same time, why not train them in these areas? What do you foresee regarding this in the future?
0: I hear that question, and I've heard that question from the beginning of our program. And usually that question comes from a what I would call a gender place an aspiration to level the playing field between women and men, and if men are able to answer all questions, so why shouldn't women be able to answer all questions? Well, I'm coming, and I'm saying something pretty revolutionary, which is that women are able to answer these questions more fully than men are, and therefore... I'm saying this now as a result of more than 20 years of experience. I think the women will get a fuller answer, a richer answer, a more helpful answer from another woman. We've created a specialization there's no reason that a woman shouldn't study other fields of halacha. And we want, we want uh, men and women to study everything. Uh, uh, Rav Nachum Rabinovich once said to me, the Navi Hoshea says, your sons and daughters will prophesy. And uh, Rav Rabinovich is someone who was uh, involved, constantly with Rambam said, well, according to Rambam, in order to be a Navi, you need to be a great Torah scholar. So apparently there are going to be great Torah scholars who are Nechem and not nechem. I'm all in favor of Torah scholars who are women Torah scholars, men Torah scholars. I want to see the more, the better, let like all Amnistra be Torah scholars. However, if you ask me where there is a need, a crying need, I, I've never met a woman who says, my milk fixed fell into my fleshy pot. And I, I can't go to the rabbi with this question. I would rather buy a new pot. Uh, no, we get those questions. I would rather add on a day or two rather than go and ask a question. And you're speaking to a Rebetzin who for years tried to tell women that you go to rabbis, ask questions, and I saw the system is not working. There's nothing wrong with the system in Shabbat and Kashrut. I, I think it is wonderful for a woman to study areas of Halakha. As a matter of fact, at Nishmat, we study other areas of Halakha. But if you ask me, in terms of community resources, where is there a need? Where are people suffering? Where do we need a woman's voice? I'm not going to say that people are suffering in Shmirat Shabbat, and therefore, Dafka. There, we need women. It's very possible that now that we're seeing more and more women becoming engineers, that it's possible we're going to see women creating. A shop of slices. And in the past, we haven't seen because in the past, most engineers were men. And today, when I ask my students, what are you going to study? So I'm seeing more and more who say, I'm going to study this field or that field of engineering. The same thing goes with medical engineering. I, mean, I think as women enter into other fields, we're going to see more women who are coming forth with creative solutions in other areas of health. The need for women is, is in this area, which impacts fertility, it impacts sexuality, it impacts well-being in the home. And the need is profound. So if your question is, are women permitted and should women study other areas of halakha? I want everyone to be studying halakha. But if you're asking where is there a need and where specifically can women make the most significant contribution, it's in this very, very broad area of halakha.
1: One final question about that. Would you say that women should be able to in questions, to rule specifically on questions regarding Nida or anything else? Or do you draw the line before that, obviously defining Pesach Halakha as its own separate question, but some people would say innovation in Halacha versus effectively telling people who ask questions what others have already said. I guess that also gets us into the question about the book. We'll get there in a moment, though. So do you say, though, that that sakhalacha is something which women should do, or you don't want that for your your atat halacha?
0: I think the term uh, sakhalacha is used in many different ways. And what sakhalacha is, is not relating what the halacha is. If you ask me a question and I've learned and the answer is quite clearly there within the post and I answer the question, I wouldn't say I'm paskending. And frankly, most questions that are addressed to rabbi fall into that category. In other words, the answer is cut and dry. It's quite clear, but someone doesn't know whether this is permissible or not permissible, and therefore you come and you ask the rabbi, there's another level which is called ledamot milta milta milta, which means to extrapolate from that which is clearly written and to apply to a new situation. That's the area where you're getting real sak halakha. You're getting new halakha, which is setting a new precedent. And... My answer to your question would be: I hope that anyone who is issuing Pesach is up to the job of issuing Pesach. The Gemara says, "Rabim mm-hmm. um, it's, it's a pasuk in Mishlei, which varies in a very different fashion. And the Gemara says, "Who is the illustration of Rabim chalalim Pila zet halmid The Gemara is speaking about the catastrophic implications of two situations. One of them is a Talmid Chacham, that's the language of the Gemara. Who nevertheless has not reached the stature of issuing rulings and issues rulings or or I would say issues rulings in areas that he should not be issuing rulings and the Gemara says that's devastating and the Gemara then goes on to say that if someone has reached the stature of issuing rulings and doesn't issue rulings that's also devastating and that's even more devastating. Atsumim is more than Rabib. If you have someone from the community Can learn. If you have someone who can solve problems and that person chooses not to do so, then the community is losing a tremendous resource. I don't think you can judge women as a class, I think this is something which is very individual post will recognize who's an address and who's not an address. These kinds of things evolve very gradually. Uh, most of the questions reaching Yotzot Hanacha do And there are rabbinim for two decades. My husband, Zechert uh, Tzadik Levracha, served as... A rabbi consult one of two rabbinins to whom the Yoatzot Halacha will go through for questions. I think the very exciting thing that you see in the Sefer that has just come out, which I think should be in every home, it's called Nishmat Ha'ai, and it's contemporary questions on women's reproductive health addressed by Yoatzot Halacha. It is a marvelous, marvelous book. It was edited by. My husband and myself. It was a fascinating journey. There are medical appendices at the back of the book. The medical appendices. I've I've had posts say that they are extremely helpful. They are the medical appendices were written by Dr. Dina Zimmerman, who is herself not just a physician but also a yo Etzel halacha.
1: And Dr. Zimmerman's book, which I think was published under Nishmat's auspices, I've recommended it to many, many people. It's an excellent book as well.
0: This book is a less popular work. This book is very interesting. It has a collection of 60-something or 70-something, I don't even remember, but I I lived this book day and night for several years together with my husband. It has a short question as a woman might ask us, and short answer as we will give to a woman. But then there's a lengthy Halakhic exposition explaining the answer, explaining the position. And um, I've had conversations with rabbis who were rabbis in far-flung communities who said, this is extremely helpful to me.
1: So if I understand correctly, the book contains a short question-and-answer format, followed by a longer exposition explaining how the U.S. Talacha arrived at her conclusion. Is that right?
0: Exactly, exactly, exactly. It's, it's like classic Shutim, classic Shuvot. Uh, the only difference is that this is the first such volume uh, written by women. I stress it was edited by a halachic authority by my husband, and I had a part in it as well. But these are classic to vote, explaining how one reaches this bottom line. And the questions are very practical. They, are, they reflect the issues that women are dealing with in their intimate lives. I think this is a book which can be extremely helpful to college teachers. It could be helpful to Torah scholars, to, um, to rabbis. It can be helpful to women Torah scholars. It can be helpful to teachers of, of Jewish family life. And I think it's an excellent book that should be sitting on the shelf in every home, and one could learn a tremendous amount from the questions, even those who don't have the skill set to work through the uh, exposition of the answer. How we got to the answer, one can still learn a lot from the very, very interesting questions, uh, questions which are asked.
1: I'm looking forward to reading it. The book is called Nishmat Habayit: Contemporary Questions on Women's Reproductive Health. It was a volume that was edited by you and by your late husband, Rav Yehuda Hankins at Sal. And it's from Koren Press, right?
0: From Koren Magid. Magid is a part of Koren Press. So this is Magid Press. It was published, the English translation has been published by uh, Nishmat together with OU Press. I think that's really a statement of how far Yawatzot Halakha have come. It's very exciting to us. The book really gives information that's unavailable in other books on Tehran HaMishpacha and it reflects the experiences of contemporary observant women. So uh, it's very exciting to us to, to hold this book now, not just in Hebrew. As we're working on the second volume in Hebrew, the book has wonderful has come out, has wonderful approbations from rabbis and on the other hand, when you open it up, you say to yourself, wow, there's new language here. And hmm. that's the language of Yoatzol Halakha. I'll I'll just give you one example. Instead of telling the woman that she is Tameya, that she has been rendered impure, we 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 try as much as possible to tell the couple that they are not permitted to each other. It's a big change in the language, not in the Halakha, in the language
1: Why does that matter? Why is that an important change?
0: Oh, it's very important It means who's carrying taran and Mishpacha Is it just the woman? Or is it the couple? The couple are committed to this halacha
1: That's very interesting Rabbi Hankin before we go I also wanted to ask you about a different book which you're also putting out now Studies in Halacha and Rabbinic History by your son Rav Etam Hankin Zatzal Could you tell me about that book as well?
0: I'm very grateful to talk about it. The book is a collection of 24 articles, which my son published in history. And I think I have to tell you something about my son, so you'll understand something about this book. My son was 31 years old. My daughter-in-law was 30 at the time in which they were murdered six years ago. And he wrote prolifically. He married young. Thankfully, the couple had children when they were very young. Um, So we have four beautiful grandchildren who survived the shooting of their parents. They were with their parents at the time of the attack. And um, my son in his lifetime authored three books and about 50 plus articles some of which were published posthumously. We're still publishing his work. He left a richness that uh, on his computer, which no one really can comprehend. Rabbis who are in touch with him, a, a, a certain Diane, a well-known Dayan, who was in touch with my son, said after the murder, he was shocked. He never he was corresponding with a 30-year-old or a 26-year-old. He assumed that he was corresponding with someone with a long gray beard, a Talmud Chacham of considerable standing. And he was shocked. I can't tell you how many people said that to me. I was—I didn't know him personally, but I was in touch with him. Many, many people were in touch with him, both as a resource and um. Uh, they were in touch with him and they had no idea of the age of this person they were they they were corresponding with at the same time my son was beginning his doctorate and those who knew him academically had no idea that you had here one of the most promising young people with a future as a rabbinic luminary. The range of his interests and the range of his skills um, uh, to this day I still I I don't understand that he was he was principally an autodidact didact Talmud of his father. He read everything his father wrote his father read everything he wrote the two of them discussed this together. He began publishing when he's very, very young. His academic mentor told me that when our son, Rav Etam, his academic mentor had no didn't address him in that fashion. But he said to me, when I asked him, how did the relationship start? So he said, well, he was a young man in his own language, in Avrech Meshi, who had never had any university background whatsoever. He was writing something, and I was recommended to him as someone that he should he could discuss an issue with. So um, he sent me an email. The two of us met, and he said, "I, I was blown away. You had this uh, wonderkind who had no academic training, and who was publishing articles that seasoned academics would be very jealous of." and Where did this come from? It came out of nowhere. Well, it didn't come out of nowhere. It came out of being my husband's son. The range of articles in this book is tremendous. Some of them are Hamachic articles, for instance, kashrut of strawberries, there are fascinating halachic articles. And then there are studies of rabbinic history, which are which go all the way back to the Gemara. There's one about the Bruria episode. It goes through some of the controversies of the 19th and 20th centuries that tore Jewish life apart. And, and my son is known for the fact that he is absolutely honest, Faithful only to the truth. I think that's something he had in common with his father um, and with his saintly great-grandfather. A lot of at Shamaim, but no fear of people. And you speak truth. And the book is written with tremendous integrity. And what people are telling me about it is that it's of interest to everyone across the spectrum. The topics are treated... With reverence and with unswerving integrity and honesty, which means the articles come out fascinating. So, for me, it was a it was a tremendous gift that our son left us with all uh, with this wealth of writing, and I'm happy that we can share it, and I'm happy that his children will. Those who have not yet read their, their father's writing read what their father had to write.
1: Well, I'm sure it will be a tremendous source of merit and a way to cause his memory to live on. The book, again, is called Studies in Halacha and Rabbinic History. And in addition, the book, which we talked about a few minutes ago, Nishmat Habayit, Contemporary Questions on Women's Reproductive Health. And one final point, I know that there is a conference coming up soon, in fact, right around the time this podcast will be released, the Global Family Health and Halacha Virtual Conference.
0: Yes, indeed. Uh, this is the second time that, this, that Nishmat is holding this conference. It's in partnership with Mizrahi Canada. It's from May 15th through 17th, and um, your listeners can get information on it and can register at www.healthandhalacha.com. The first conference had 4,000 people, virtual, it's a virtual conference, had 4,000 people registered, and we're doing it again.
1: Okay, well, hatzlacharabah. Thank you again for joining me today on the podcast.
0: Thank you so much for hosting me.
1: Subscribe to The Orthodox Conundrum on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please visit JewishCoffeehouse.com for other episodes of The Orthodox Conundrum, as well as many other great podcasts, including Intimate Judaism, The Maimonides Minute, Chochmat Nashim, The Francisca Show, and Let My People Eat. I'd appreciate it if you go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review The Orthodox Conundrum. It takes literally two minutes. It's just giving a certain number of stars and writing one or two sentences